Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Ladies and gentlemen, so glad you could join us. This is John Grace and Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. Uh, glad that you could spend some time with us this afternoon. So happy Wednesday to you. And we're going to dive right into the things that we think we need to share with you. And, and by the way, we uh, are looking forward to the 30th of June, as we will have uh, a guest who is a good friend of mine. And he actually uh, was kind enough to put a good forward, uh, a good message in, in my book. Uh, so he'll be on the show. And he's a PhD, uh, not your typical economist. Your typical economist is, you know, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you're left right in the middle. They don't tell you what they think. They're just telling you what they think could happen. But you want to know, give me the odds. Give me your thoughts. Give me which way do you think this is leaning? So he, he, he's a straight shooter. Uh, he is not employed by the government, so we don't have to worry about uh, his boss or the media. Uh, he could have been Federal Reserve Chair. I wish he was because I know him and I like his work. And I've known him for a long time, thanks to being part of Dent Research, where we pay for independent research to kind of help you get a, a ride on the reading, if you will, to see what's going on. What's the bigger picture? Because so many times we get lost in the weeds. We look, we, we, we focus on sales data, for example, that can really leave you lost in the weeds because you just extrapolate. This is the sales that has happened for the last whatever time frame it is. And you just imagine it's going to continue just like that forever. But we often don't know what fundamentals to look for. And one of the biggest fundamentals in uh, these United States of America is to look at the buying and selling patterns of consumers, okay? So we'll look at sales, we'll look at profits, but we don't look to see when you're high on potato chips, for example, that's age 14, and when you're not, or when you bought the most potato chips in your life, by the way, that's about 41 for you, the parent, for your average 14-year-old. Really? You thought you were doing something different when you could not live without potato chips at 14, like I couldn't live without potato chips every day, and two pegs of Lay's barbecue a day over the weekend. But you don't realize that your pattern has changed. In fact, you didn't even see yourself in that pattern. But that's why looking at the demographics for indications as to what's moving forward and what is moving in the rearview mirror is so helpful. Because if, of course, if you're focused on the rearview mirror, you're missing the big picture, which is in front of you, but you're so busy looking behind you at the way it was, expecting the past to repeat itself without looking at the fundamentals in terms of demand. Again, based on the buying and selling behavior of ordinary consumers first, and this is important, and then the people you know second. Don't flip it. What many of us do is we say, well, everybody that I know, if you're... Um, exceptional, you're looking at other exceptional people and drawing conclusions that everybody's doing what you all are doing. Well, you're looking at the outliers. So I'm going to say, look at the outliers, the people with education making good money, second, 
and look at the Homer Simpsons, the average Americans first, just because there's so many more average Americans than there are exceptional Americans. So look at the exceptional ones, folks like yourself and your family, second, but look at the averages first to get a sense for what's really going on in the economy. So on that note, we're gonna look at both sides of the equation in terms of uh, what's happening with retirement thanks to COVID-19. Uh, on the one hand, we see more people retiring than others, <laughs> than ever. And on the other hand, we see uh, people say, I'm gonna delay retirement. So we'll look at both of those because it's an interesting equation and it is two parts to the puzzle. And then we'll look at five steps that might help you uh, maintain a safe, secure and fun retirement. And no matter if it's the good, the bad or the ugly, five steps we'll go over with you so that you can take notes and you know, make sure that some of these steps make sense to you and you can implement them immediately. That's what it's all about. Let's get some tools we could use and make sure that we're better prepared for the good, the bad and the unforeseen. And then speaking of the unforeseen, we found uh, something interesting relative to the foreclosure uh, that uh, seems to be uh, rising, or we'll look at it relatively speaking so that you can see, is it rising or is it declining? And you know, we see that the federal government's foreclosure moratorium is ending later this month. We wanna look back to see if uh, that portends foreclosures are about to come roaring back. So as I say, we want you prepared for all these things because this is life and we wanna be ready. So let's talk about uh, how the market's doing. We always like to go there and look at it from the year to date basis. That's from January 1 through today. And of course the market is uh, gonna close in about 50 minutes or so, a little bit more than that. But how's it doing so far this year? Well, so far today, the Dow is off 200, nearly 231 points. Uh, at 34,000. Now that's still within one or 2% of the high, but the year-to-date return is about 11.7%. What we notice, well, let's go to the S&P first, and then I'll tell you what we notice. The, the S&P is also in negative territory, off about a half of 1% or 21 points at 42.25 in round numbers. Year-to-date though, it's up 12.85. Uh, this time around, it might be the, uh, the NASDAQ that is uh, also worthy of watching. It's off nearly 60 points so far today, and it's up about 9.16 for the year to date. These are all good numbers, but the, the thing that, that we're looking at, Daniel and I are always looking at, is a couple of things like volume. And uh, when we get to those highs, do we hold them? Do we blow through them to the upside? Or are we testing those highs, which means that it's not uncommon, particularly in the summer, for things to be pretty light in terms of trading. You know, a lot of people, particularly this year, are nicely back on vacation, and the volume doesn't tend to be as high as it is outside of the summer. But let's notice what happens in September and October. That's when, I mean, Daniel started uh, September of 2006, and then he was around for September of 2008. And I will tell you, every day was ugly. So that's, uh, that's what we really want to look at. Be prepared for, more importantly, because it, it, as I say, in the summer, things seem to be pretty quiet. And then we get into the fall and it's uh, either we're breaking through new highs or it's uh, how low can we go? And that's when people really get upset and do things that they wish they hadn't done, but they're not prepared for this, okay? And that's why we're here talking to you to help you prepare for these things that maybe you can't see, but you don't need to see them if you're adequately prepared. 
I mean, what did we just enter uh, hurricane season? And we're looking at more hurricanes that might be more severe. At least you know there's a season, but typically you won't know until the hurricane is about to strike what's going on. Again, are you prepared for that so that you can survive it as opposed to, oh, we're just going to sit here and weather this one out. No, I don't want you to do that. So let's look at uh, one, one side of the equation in terms of what folks are doing relative to uh, retirement, we find this piece very interesting. This comes from Pew Research, that close to 30 million boomers retired in the third quarter of 2020. 30 million out of what, 76 million? And that's 10% more than the same period in 2019. Job losses in the pandemic may be to blame according to the finance experts at Parco, but that's a really interesting number. On the other side of the, of the equation, we find that uh, this is from the Foundation for Economic Education, one in three Americans post, uh, plan to postpone their retirement because of COVID-19. This one suggests, this survey, that an estimated 69 million people plan on delaying retirement in, in the wake of the pandemic. Well, what do you see happening here, Daniel? That totally makes sense. It's one of those things. It's one of those things we, we kind of watch pretty closely because demographics are getting older in this country and there's going to be more and more people retiring. So as as the whole country gets older, more people retire, which means lower workforce. So it's less people working and contributing to, to the economy. That's the idea. But now because of the pandemic, more people are going to push out retirement. So the question becomes, how far are they going to push out retirement and how hard did they get hit through this pandemic? Well, and see, that's the thing. Many people say, I'm going to work to, you know, I die or 75 or whatever it is. And notice a pandemic or some kind of a health issue is, is what is often the experience that alters people's plans, right? So uh, it's an event, particularly health-related, that we recognize that is often the disruptor, if you will. It may not be your health. It may be the health of uh, your spouse or someone in your family, particularly your parents. And now all of a sudden your schedule isn't what it used to be because you have to take the time off from work or not work to take care of the, the folks that need a little more attention. So it's fascinating how we all expect we're just going to do this, that, or the other. And then life uh, throws us a curveball that we're not typically prepared for. And suddenly we, the game's over, <laughs> all right? It, it's, I was enjoying getting around the bases, right? Uh, and uh, all of a sudden the, the game is shut out, it's closed, it's over. I, I can't play anymore. So yeah, this was, uh, this was interesting that one out of every three Americans uh, planning to retire now say that will happen sometime later, uh, thanks to uh, COVID-19. And, and did you see an interesting chart that kind of illustrates this, Daniel? You like charts. We like charts. Uh, what chart are you talking about, John? <laughs> <laughs> well, the number of uh, retired baby boomers rose from uh, 2019 to 2020 than in prior years. And, and, and what we're seeing, if we go back, this is from Pew Research, we see that like, for example, well, let's start at 2012. It was, notice how the numbers kind of bounce around, but within they're pretty constrained until 2020. It's, it's 2.2 in 2012, 1.9 was the percentage of retired boomers that, that rose uh, you know, in December in 2013, 2.0, 2014, uh, two, bounces around 25, 19, 22, 22 uh, from uh, 2015 through 2018, drops to 1.5, in 2019, but then bounces uh, just uh, over, over twice that, right, to over 3%. So it's, um, 
it, it it's interesting to see how things happen and then people have to make uh, they have to shift their gears uh, and make uh, different decisions. So that's the chart that I that we were looking at earlier in terms of the annual increase in the retired U.S. baby boomer population. And again, boomers are 76 million people, and 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 the boom they're called baby boomers thanks to pent up demand. That's what we call it. That's very scientific. I hope you understand that. But it was from the years 1946 to 1964 as the service guys are coming home and they're really looking forward to see their spouses and their significant others. And here we go. And, and by the way, I was just looking at this earlier, back uh, in the 50s and the 60s, it wasn't uncommon for the average uh, married woman to bear up nearly four children per couple. Today, we're below two per couple. Uh, and at the same time, we find this fascinating that on a global basis, we now have more people aged 65 and older than five and younger. So when folks talk about, you know, everything's just going to be the way it was, as we've been saying all along, this COVID-19 is a disaster of epic proportions. It's causing a lot of changes to be undertaken that people aren't really recognizing. But those changes are, are, are pretty strong, and, and I don't think we're going to revert to life the way it was, particularly noticing that folks like uh, Daniel and, and Millie, these are millennials, uh, many of the millennials like Daniel and Millie uh, aren't having children. They, they didn't take the, the, the prescription that uh, boomers took from their parents. You, Daniel, Millie, uh, you will, or in my case, John and Karen, you will get married, you will, you, will, you will go to school, you will get married, you will buy a house and you'll have kids. And boomers went, check, 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 check. And the children of the boomers are going, I don't know about any of those things. <laughs> we'll see, but I am not accepting that prescription for my life. And so they're still making up those decisions, but they're not as anxious to check all of those boxes like boomers just, couldn't live without checking those boxes. We were very dutiful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, the, the people behind us, not so much. So what else did you see that caught your attention, uh, Daniel? Well, what caught my attention, I think the most was a stat from the same, from the same study that said 56% of men felt secure with, re, with retirement savings, while only 40% of women felt secure. Hmm. I think that's fascinating for a few reasons. Now, the first one is when I know when we're talking to couples, what I notice the most is that the woman tends to be, the female tends to be more focused on the planning right. and the male tends to be more focused on talking about what's going to make me the most money, right. where, where, where we're going to get the best bang for my buck right now or what's doing the best. It's a very different focus. So yes. this stat is very interesting to me because I think the men are more unconscious of what it takes to retire. <laughs> it's not that they're, it's, they're secure right. because it's false security. Yes. Well, and it's all about the when, right? It's all about how much money I made or which stock I chose. And of course, it's like going to Vegas, isn't it? How many times do people say they lost money? Nobody says they lost money. They all talk about what a good time you, they had. But let's just notice all these buildings did not come from all these people winning all that much money. <laughs> but nobody talks about what they lost. We're all talking about how much fun we had and you know how much money we won. But that's the thing. And men particularly are not willing to be more forthcoming. And, and another part of that equation, Daniel, was that 41% of women say they are saving each month for retirement versus 58% of men. That's also interesting. This is, this is something that is so important. It's something that we like to help 
uh, investors focus on. And by the way, one of the things we also notice when we're meeting with couples is how the man is typically much more aggressive and the woman is typically much more conservative. And, and it is not uncommon for the women, the women, the wives to have resentment towards their husband because he kind of just takes over and says, here's what we're going to do. And she's going, I'm sorry, don't I have anything to say here? And then they kind of just, and in many cases are, you know, they become a little meek and let the guy do what the guy says they're going to do, but they don't like it one bit. So for us, it's fun to be able to talk with both sides of the equation. You're both putting money in the pot. Let's see how you want this money managed. And sometimes what we've done, Daniel, which has been fun, is we've got his money, her money, and their money. In other words, his money suits his objectives to be more aggressive. Her money does not. But now they can see that they're on path uh, to do what it is they're trying to accomplish financially. So one's not uh, trading in for the other to be comfortable and to be right. But as I say, it's it's my money, uh, her money, and our money. And both of them, all three of them are invested differently because they feel differently about how those accounts are being managed and, and their expectations are different. So we don't lump everybody together and say, well, let's just go with the guy because he's loud. No, 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 no. <laughs> let's make sure, let's make sure the woman is satisfied because at the end of the day, it's probably the case that we will still be dealing with her after he's gone one way or the other. So we like to try and uh, make sure that everybody's comfortable from day one and nobody's selling out thinking that I have to uh, satisfy the other spouse, but I then I have to be dissatisfied myself. <laughs> Is that a true reflection That's of what we see? A hundred percent a true statement. We see that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> and what I would say, what I would say to couples that are listening is get on the same page. Hey, yes. Guys, talk, talk about it with each other because most people just don't talk about it. With, with their significant other. I have my point of view, you have your point of view, and maybe we'll meet somewhere in the middle. Maybe, maybe. but I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> oh, always, always, I'm always right, right, exactly. But get up, get on the same page, because it's, it's really, it's a joint strategy, and you should both know what each other's doing. Well, and, and the way we like to look at it, folks, is to help folks focus on a question they haven't really looked at before, and that's, what kind of loss can you accept? Let's look at it together. These are questions you typically have not been asked, so you've never been able to answer. But by answering them together, now we can really get both parties on the same page. And as I say, if the parties can see that our goals are being met, they, they are more relaxed about, well, I have to, well, I have to. As long as our goals are being met, who cares how aggressive or conservative either one of us might be, because we can see we're on track to arrive at our appointed destination on time safely with the amount of money that we need to make work optional. So we'll leave that part there. We'll be right back with looking at the five steps that can help you make for a safe retirement right after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance. Coupled with a sound plan for the future, with the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit 
YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, my friends. We're so glad you could join us. Daniel Medina, my cohort here, and John Grace uh, with Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. And yes, please do uh, send us uh, your questions. Uh, feel free to call in the show directly, uh, particularly on the 30th, when you can ask questions of someone who's of the caliber of the Federal Reserve Chair and see what he thinks about this inflation thing, for example, or interest rates. It doesn't, don't worry about, you know, do I, can I manage to ask a very intelligent question? That's not, that's not important. Just uh, be willing to ask the questions that you want answers to, and, and it'll be fine. And we'll be collecting uh, questions before and doing them live as well on the 30th. Uh, by the way, I uh, want to make sure you know that we have a book out, Making Finance Make Sense. It's available at Amazon and at uh, eBay. Uh, appreciate if you like my work, uh, pick it up again, either at Amazon or eBay, Making Finance Make Sense. And if you would, would be so kind, make a favorable comment at uh, Amazon or eBay. And that's how we get the book, uh, the bestsellers list, right? That was a 2020 goal to write the book. It's done. And then you wake up 2021. John, you're not done. Now you have to get it on the bestsellers list. And I need all the help I can get. And by the way, Daniel and I are continuing to provide free financial planning services to all frontline workers. We think that's important. It's our sincere way of acknowledging these folks that put their lives on the line every day. Hopefully this this Delta variant doesn't come back to haunt us, but clearly that's what they do every single day. It's part of their DNA. So this is our gift to them to say, however your uh, family structure is, it doesn't matter. We'll be in office or uh, in person uh, to put a financial plan together that includes uh, what do you need to make work optional on, on your time frame and your uh, the amount of money you need at that time. And then what happens, heaven forbid, that one of the breadwinners, married or not, dies too soon. We had four hands in the equation. Now there's only two. How are we not going to miss what that person brought to the table every month, right? And then if you have children, how can we all go to the graduation and cry our eyeballs out because, oh, they finished uh, school. Thank God they got their degree. And nobody has any debt. The kids don't have any debt. The parents don't have any debt. That goal was met. So the money was needed and it provided that service for them to go to school. But nobody's holding on to debt for the next 20, 30 years, feeling less than because you've got this cross to carry, which you shouldn't have to carry. So now let's look at the five steps that can help you 
get to where you want to go safely, securely, and, and actually have fun uh, relative to retirement. Daniel's always fine, fond of uh, numbers, things that people can take notes on in terms of like five steps. So what's number one, Daniel? Well, first of all, we talk about retirement a lot. And it's really the single largest event for most people's lives that they're going to plan for. It's something that's going to take, if you're lucky, 30 or 40 years. Right. So it's one of those things that we can never talk about enough because you're going to spend a majority, a large part of your life in this phase. So you have to prepare to get there. Everyone wants to have a, a safe and secure retirement, but not a lot of people are willing to put in the work to figure out how to get there. Well, and, and let's, uh, let's pick up there because now that things are opening up, people are putting a lot of work in planning weddings and vacations, right? Uh, you're looking at all the different places you go, what's your budget, what's your time frame, how are you going to get there, what's it going to be like? Notice all of the time you spend to, it's a weekend, it's a week, it's a month, it doesn't matter. You spend a lot of time planning that event. It's fun because you want to have a sense of what you're going to do when you get there. We're submitting to you that that's the great aptitude or mindset, if you will, to uh, apply to planning your financial success, recognizing that it's going to take some time. But you've got, speaking of time, you may be not working, whether you plan to or not, for let's say a 20, 30 year period. Now, that means we need to do a whole lot of work and, and then review our work no less than annually to see how this might happen. And that's why we are very fond of our trademark. Uh, this is the proof is in the planning. It's all about the planning, folks, as opposed to throwing a dart and hopeful that it, was, it, it might work. So it doesn't have to be boring doing math, particularly when you can see that you can retire with the same kind of income that you used to have to work for, but now your portfolio is providing that same kind of income, which allows you to be free and not worry about your money. So what were your takeaways and, and how, what's the list look like, Daniel? Well, the first thing on the list is understanding your, your time horizon. And I'm gonna break this into two different time horizons. For people that are not retired yet, your time horizon is how far until you want to be able to make work optional. So if you're 50 years old today and you're planning on retiring around 66, you have a 16 year time horizon. That's how long it's gonna take for you to put together enough money where you know you can make work optional. You may not retire, but you have the option at that point to say, I'm gonna stop working and my money can take care of me. The other side of that is how long you're gonna live in retirement. So in that same scenario, if you're 50 and you're gonna retire at 66, how long are you gonna be in retirement? If you retire at 66 and you're having, your life expectancy is, are we, what are we at, John, today, 88? Average life expectancy, 86? Uh, no, it's moved back down from 79 to 78 in these United States of America, just as of March from the CDC report. So from, from 66 to 78, that's, that's 12 years. Right. And, that's, and that's, that's on average. Most people, a lot, half the people are gonna live longer than that. Right, particularly if they have healthcare and resources, that's true. Particularly if you're, do, if you're taking the time to do, the, do some of this retirement planning, you're probably more well off than most, which means you're likely going to live longer. Right. So you may live into your 90s. So if right. you retire in your mid-60s and live to your 90s, you got 30 years of retirement. That's a long time. A long time. <laughs> so if you're 50, planning to have income through 90, that's 40 years. Woo. 
we're planning for a long time. And you know, you've got to uh, keep part of the equation inflation. We'll be talking more about that, but it's kind of rearing its ugly head. We've always, uh, geez, for as long as you've been on board, Daniel, we always assumed it was 3%. But even if it's 3%, it, inflation is like an acorn. It starts out small, but given enough time, it can be turned into a mighty oak tree. So we want compound growth in our money, but inflation is like compound anti-growth. It's like a big negative, if you will. It erodes the value of your money. So a, what seems to be small, we'd like to see just 3%. I think it's going to be higher. But just at 3%, it erodes the value of your savings by 50% over approximately 24 years. I mean, that, 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 that's so small. But again, we're looking at 24 years. It adds up. So it doesn't seem like much, but given enough time, it, it has a huge impact. And that's one of the things that you want to look at every year to see, are we back to double digit inflation? Well, hopefully not. But what is the inflation assumption? Those things should be looked at no less than annually, because you don't want to bet that it's going to be 2% and discover that now it's 6 I, I, you might be able to do that math, but certainly, Daniel, uh, that means that it's going to erode your purchasing power even more significantly for whatever the period of time might be. Yeah, completely. So if we, in your same example, eroding, eroding your savings by 50%, that also means you have to double your income over a 24-year period to keep your same spending power. So say that again. That's important. So if, if we see 3% inflation uh, over a 24-year period, in order to keep your same spending power, you need to double your income. So if you're making $5,000 a month today in 24 years with 3% inflation, you got to make 10,000 per month just to have the same standard of living. Just to have the same standard of living. And and what's so important about that, folks, is that may mean for the first time, you can ill afford a significant market loss. You're trying to double your income. We don't need a 50% loss. That's certainly going to make it more difficult, if not impossible. So that's why we've got to do the planning. It makes sense to have people who do this for a living actually help you do the job. You know, you don't do your own dental work, right? So, um, it, so that it just makes sense to keep your eye on the ball. What, what kind of thing do you see with spending in terms of retirement? So the next thing you need to do is figure out your spending habits. If you haven't retired yet, you, you want to have a really good idea on what your spending habit is today, pre-retirement, so we can fi- so you can figure out what your spending habits are going to be through retirement. If you itemize your spending, if you go through and you actually list how much am I spending on the mortgage, how much am I spending on food, on clothes, on going out, on gas, then you can, f- we can, you can figure out how, how is that going to grow through your retirement. If you're spending $5,000 a month today pre-retirement, how much do you need during retirement? And it's, and it's a helpful very to keep things. Question. It's a very important question. It's good. Think of it this way, folks. Every day is a Saturday. What do you do on Saturday? You spend money. Spend money. That's what I always do. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Saturday's for. So <laughs> if you've got the next 10 years of Saturdays, yeah. And you're not working, so you're not distracted by having to go show up and dress up and drive to. You're spending money. So it's 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 interesting because. 30 years ago, we would say uh, you know, to folks, can you live on 70%, 80% of your income? And they're looking at it in future dollars and say, well, sure. And then we found out 30 years later that many people need 100%, right? Or just to feel like they were treading water. And in some cases need 120%. So again, Daniel's right on. It's all about looking at your spending and making sure you keep your eye on that ball because it can just bounce you out of the equation altogether. Yes, and people always, to your point about 
uh, people spending 70% or 80% of their spending later, we can have that discussion all day with people about what their retirement spending is going to be because the kids are going to be gone. My mortgage will be paid off. I'm not going right. to have this expense or that expense. We'll have so much money. We're going to have so much extra money. That sounds great. But what if you don't? <laughs> well, and typically, folks, you don't. Okay. Typically, <laughs> typically, you don't. Whether the house is paid for, wherever the kids might be, the money just gets spent. It gets spent on something else. It's not on the kids that are requiring you to spend it. Now everything's optional, but you have a certain lifestyle where you just, you like living at that level. So as long as you like living at that level, please take the time to make sure you're putting the odds on your side of the equation to be able to afford to live the way you choose to live. Then on retirement spending, there's also two big wild cards. One goes back to our time horizon. That's longevity. How long are you going to need to keep this income going? It's a big difference between 12 years and 30 years. Mm. That's a big wild card. So we, if, if, we overstate, if we overstate our spending, that's going to hurt. I'm sorry, if we understate our spending, that's going to hurt us long term. If we're not accounting for the right amount of income over a 30-year period, you're going to go through your savings far quicker than you expected. And it's a good way, maybe this might help in terms of a perspective, a little analogy, right? If you have a job and you're making whatever you're making, and maybe for whatever reasons you lose that job, or you're not making in the next job what you made in the last job, right? You get to adjust your spending accordingly. So this is why this is so important to make those adjustments based on the income, but to keep your spending habits below your income habits. And that may be higher for one decade and lower in the next decade, but it's not something you can just set on autopilot and expect the, the, the technology or I don't know who, Disneyland to make the machines keep it uh, like Goldilocks, the perfect, right? environment, not too hot, not too cold. You got to look at it every day. Just like as you drive, you're making those adjustments as you drive. Yeah. And the second wild card before we go on number three is long-term care. Mm. God forbid you get some kind of chronic or, or illness where you need to be in a long-term care facility. If you haven't planned for that, that's a, that could be a massive expense. I think on average nowadays, people are spending about a quarter million dollars in long-term care expenses. It's over Where, what, time? Uh, I don't know. Over the, I think it's over this, this, the last period of life. I'm not sure. That's maybe time. three to five years. I, that sounds right, but I, I don't know. So. Yeah. Um, but it, let's, let's say you need a quarter million dollars for long-term care. Where is that going to come from? The backup yeah. plan is the, states, the state will pay for it. When you, when you run out of money, they will pay for it. And that's miserable. <laughs> and then that's miserable. Now you're subject to whatever they'll pay for. It. Yeah. So, so that's, our, that's our other big wild card. All right. So n- number, number three, Yes. figure out your after-tax rate of return. Now, this is an important one because we're always going to default to um, a spending rate of 4%. That's our target spending rate. And the reason we target 4% is because we're, pre- we're fairly confident over a long period of time, we're going to average somewhere around 6% with a moderate aggressive or moderate portfolio. Um, something like a 60-40 or a 50-50, which tends to work pretty well for retired, for retired people where they are generating income. So if we can target 6% on average and we're spending 4%, that gives us a little bit of growth. That's going to help with our, with our increase in inflation. Or a cushion. Or a will. cushion, yeah. Now, the reason this is so important, going back to longevity, we need to see some growth in there because if we're going to keep your same standard of living, we need to give you some pay raises every year. 
And that's so important because uh, right now, right, uh, inflation looks like, my goodness, what's cheap anymore? McDonald's isn't cheap anymore. I think the only thing that's cheap is riding the bus. And who rides the bus? Okay, who wants to be on the bus? <laughs> that's no fun. That's no fun. <laughs> no. And in some parts of the country, what, four or $5 a gallon for gas if you don't have an electric car like Daniel does, right? I, I heard gas is expensive, John. I haven't, I haven't seen it lately. You, you haven't had a chance to- I haven't had a, I haven't a chance. Yeah. Right, right. I yeah. heard it's a lot, though. I don't know. <laughs> it's more than it was, and it doesn't seem to stop. <laughs> um, so that's, that's in retirement. If you haven't retired yet, what kind of rate of return do you need to get to be able to retire? What, what kind of target rate of return are we looking for based on how much you're saving and what your lifestyle is to get you to retirement? Do we need a 7% rate of return, an 8 a 9 a 10 The only way we're going to figure that out is by doing all these steps. And then looking to see, is the portfolio doing what you expect it to do, both on so the upside and the downside? So that's our number four, actually. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Ass assessing your risk tolerance versus your investment goals. So there's a, John, to your point, there's a big difference between risk tolerance and what we need and what our target rate of return is. Let's say we go through the math and we need to target a, an 8% rate of return pre-retirement to get you to your, to your, your, your retirement goal. What if you can't stomach an 8% return? What if you can't stomach the volatility of that portfolio? Hmm. If we can't invest you aggressively enough to get an 8% return, you'll never get an 8% return, which means you have to save more money or you have to push retirement out. Or reduce the withdrawals levels. Or reduce your spending, right? But look, these are all the things, this is all the calculus as part of the, cal of the, of the activity that's necessary to see, is this possible? Yeah, one of the things that I think is fascinating is a lot of times when we're talking to, to clients about risk tolerance, and we go through all of our, our questionnaires and, and, our, and our simulations, and we, we, give them, we give them a target for, for, for risk. Then we actually see a period where we see a significant downturn that's within their risk tolerance, and they freak out. That, hap that happened uh, last year in March when the market went down about 30, 35%. I remember having conversations with clients where they were down nearly as much as that, but the real dollar amount scared them enough where we had to make a change to their portfolio because they couldn't stomach the loss. And that's so important, right? And it's also important to make keep your eye on the ball, your ball, not the market ball, right? That'll drive you nuts. But if you're holding up and the market's going down like the Titanic, it helps you go, I can have a nice day because I don't have to worry about this coming to an end. And now I have to take my life to, out. I need to get out of this equation. This is just too much. All right. We have, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll finish up with number five, and then we'll come back with looking at uh, the foreclosure crisis. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. 
So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, my friends. John Grace and Daniel Medita here, Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. Delighted you could spend some time with us in this terrific Wednesday afternoon while everybody's kind of on hold, waiting to see what the Fed might or might not do. Meanwhile, we're talking about the five steps that can help you toward a safe, secure, and fun retirement. Imagine that, having fun working on retirement. And let's see, put things in perspective. Math is, a probable, is probably the only four-letter letter word in America that we're afraid to use, right? We don't like math. We don't want to even say the word. Well, we need to use the math and we need to get friendly with math and we need to apply some of these principles and and make sure that we're looking at what we're doing. Again, no different than trying to get from point A to point B. If you're walking, looking at your phone or you're on a plane, you want to figure out how can I get from here to there on time safely. So that is the same standard that we're looking at from the from the standpoint of how can you make work optional, whatever your time frame might be, so that you can live the way you would prefer to live for the next 10, 20, 30 years without having to go to work. It means you might want to go to work or maybe some part-time work. Uh, we have some clients who do that and they actually enjoy it because it's purely optional and this is really extra money. But yeah, they spend it, all of it, and it feels good to them to have earned it and spent it. I certainly understand that. So Daniel, you, I think you finished up with the uh, rate of return on, on investments that you have to look at on an after-tax basis uh, and you looked at risk. So I think we're just la- we have one more item, is that right? Yep, just one more. And this is the kind of the extra credit work. So Mm. to the extent that we do everything else correctly, so we figured out what we're going to spend, we figured out what we need to put together to actually live the lifestyle we're looking for. The last step is estate planning. And estate planning is what happens to your money and your assets after you and your partner are gone. Oftentimes this requires a team. So we're looking at uh, lawyers and accountants and financial planners all working together to put put an estate plan together for for, for you and your family so you can effect, efficiently pass on your assets. Efficiently and without pulling people's hair out, 
from the survivors, trying to figure out what mom and dad or grandpa wanted to do because they didn't tell anybody. And now you're trying to figure it out. That is no fun whatsoever. Trying to figure out, figure it out after the fact is a mess. We're all looking, reading through trust documents, trying to figure out this language and what does this word mean versus this word in my interpretation of the trust language is this and the, the custodian's interpretation of the trust language is something completely different and now we have a mess on our hands. I'm mad as hell because nobody looks at it the way I look at it. <laughs> well, that's why you want to look at it well before the people expire so that you all know exactly what to do and how to do it. And, and I'm say real quickly, Daniel, the, the transfer on debt, is that an easy way to kind of make things uh, easy for the survivors? So a transfer on death. So for, uh, let me explain what a transfer on death is first. Please. So for non-retirement, for retirement accounts and life insurance policies, there's always something called a beneficiary. And the beneficiary is who gets the money next. You as the account owner can tell the company where your money's at, who, who you want to get your money. Typically it's the spouse, could be your kids, could be a charity, it could be whoever you want. For accounts that aren't retirement accounts or insurance policies, there's something called a transfer on death designation. It's like a beneficiary designation for a non-retirement and non-insurance policy. On your bank account, as an example, it's just in your individual name. If you were to, let's say you have a significant amount in your bank account and you, God forbid you pass away tomorrow, what happens to your money? If you put a transfer on death designation on there, you're telling the bank who you want to get the money next. It's a very efficient way to pass money on. And, and that's what's so important, folks, because, see, it's, it's, it's good for you to tell the folks who are next in line, you're next in line. And here's what you need to do. You need to get the death certificate. It might take two weeks to get the certificate, but you need to have maybe 16, 18 copies. You need to get that death certificate so that it matches this person died and these folks or this folks are next in terms of who's supposed to receive the money. There's no question. Typically, the beneficiary designation, that's what they're going to go by, regardless of who's married or not or whatever arrangement you might have had. That's typically the way that's going to fold. The transfer on death, it's, it's, it's really simple. And particularly for non-retirement accounts, it's very effective. Present the death certificate, the bank immediately puts that money in your name, you're done, all right? Because it's the, the emotional work that you have to do to process the loss of the loved one should be enough. But to have that on top of trying to figure out what to do with the money or where this money is supposed to go, or the custodian doesn't accept your language and the trust because sometimes the attorneys write it so arcanely that one custodian might accept it and one custodian might read it where it's not acceptable at all. You want to make it simple because at the end of the day, what the IRS wants to know is who's the next taxpayer. And to the extent that you make that invisible or too difficult to uh, figure out. It's just going to delay things. And now you may have to hire an attorney to help you straighten it out, which means more money, more delay, more frustration. So please take the time to recognize what you're doing. And please talk to the people who are supposed to know what to do if, if you're not here, uh, both in terms of what they do to get the money and maybe what you might want to have them do with that money. But don't die with it. Don't keep it a secret from the kids. In fact, we like having conversations with the families where we bring everybody in the equation and then we get in advance a permission to talk about what with the kids. But I will tell you, they are on time for those meetings and they're taking notes and they're not looking at their phones when they're looking at their inheritance that uh, we've called this meeting for. So well, that part is fun. So they, they wake up and pay attention. I can, I, can, I can share that with you. So yeah, staying on top of the estate planning is so important. And I mean, the burden of retirement planning is falling on just ordinary people 
now more than ever, it doesn't look like it's going to change. You know, few employees can count on an employer-produced defined benefit pension plan, especially in the private sector, which is where most people work. The switch to defined contribution plans like 401ks, for example, are, are, are means that the managing the investments becomes your responsibility 100%, not your employer's. So that's why you want to uh, wake up, pay attention, stay vigilant, and keep running the numbers so that you can see you've accounted for all of the possible events that might happen, and you feel like your odds are better than 50-50 to get the job done on time safely. So anything else on here, Daniel? No, I think that pretty much covers it. it. We, could, okay. we could always talk retirement, but we can move on. <laughs> it's what we do. So we never get done finishing. So let's talk about what we see on the horizon in terms of home foreclosures. Uh, because as we say, it's interesting to note that uh, the moratorium is ending, the federal government's moratorium on foreclosure uh, would be ending later this month. And we wanna look to see if this uh, foreclosure status might come roaring back. And it looks like the good news is we don't think it will. Uh, we think that there could be more foreclosures uh, as we go through you know, the, the next year or two, but um, the, the good news is that uh, the financing has been better than it was in 2008. There's uh, typically more equity in the equation uh, than certainly it's not, it's generally not as close as it was in terms of how quickly you could be underwater. But you also, again, want to do the math because speaking of underwater, if the value is what you believe it is today, and for whatever reason, uh, that value drops by 20 or 50%, and let's recognize that that might be the result of 76 million people, the boomers now 57 to 75. Uh, in fact, Donald John Trump just turned 75 on the 14th. Uh, that was just what, two days ago, Tuesday. So he's at the, the, the leading edge of boomers, but there's 76 million people born between 1946 and 1964. And about 2.7 million mortgage borrowers or five and a half percent of the total are currently in forbearance programs, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. Those statistics suggest that the total peaked at about 4.75 million in May of 2020. So that's a significant improvement uh, that we don't think uh, this is something that's going to be disruptive as far as the market is concerned. We think it's gonna be more manageable. And, and by the way, what some people have chosen to do to increase their odds of being able to weather what they think could be the next storm is sell at these levels. Maybe you, you might not know what you're gonna do with the money, which is always fascinating to me when people say, well, if I sold, what would I do with the money? That's not the question. <laughs> the question is, do you wanna get top dollar, right? We understand buy low, sell high. We know how to do that. But when it comes to real estate in particular, it's such an emotional attachment. Not a, the house is really emotional, but the, the second or the third or the fourth house, people get attached. <laughs> and it's fascinating. We, it's hard to make a decision when it comes to real estate. And it seems as though our research team suggests that when people are thinking about what to do with the house, it's not uncommon for them to take two years to determine what to do with the house. Now, if you're taking a year or two to wake up and just determine what we're going to do with the house, notice that the ability to buy or to sell high, if prices are down 10, 15, 20%, well, your window of opportunity is just folded right in front of your very eyes. And then let's consider this. This is, this is so important. 
because uh, we're on programs often and, and many of the hosts want to know about the V-shaped recovery and our attitude is, well, that, that may or may not happen, but there've been a couple of L-shaped recoveries where real estate in New York City after the depression took four decades to get back to even, real estate in Japan has not yet gotten back to even from the highs of 1990, 1991. By the way, that is also true for the Nikkei 225, the Japanese stock market. So can you imagine having values at these lofty levels for real estate and for stocks and now we're going through what, uh, in our case, 40 years with New York real estate. In Japan, it's over 30 years today where the prices have not gotten back to your fond memories of how high they were. What I suspect that means is a lot of people lived with regret. And unfortunately, a lot of people, I think, died with regret. So again, we're trying to say, let's make some decisions. Not that the, all trees are going to grow to the sky. We know that's not true. <clears throat> excuse me, but sometimes we get so complacent that we just think everything's going to continue going up and, and I'm just fine. Uh, but that means that uh, things have to continue. And we also know that bubbles burst 100% of the time. Seven-year-olds around the world know that to be true. So don't be so complacent that you just think everything's going to be rosy and then you wake up and discover it's an OS moment. And of course, OS stands for oh shucks, right? So um, we expect the, um, the you know, prices may hold, they may not, but to the extent that you take your chips off the table, like at Vegas, right, you know how much money you have and you can watch whatever happens with a, with, by being not as emotionally attached when, you know, what do they say, uh, cash is king? What do they say about equity? Crickets. So when you have the cash, you're not emotionally attached to what the values are doing or what they're not doing or what they aren't doing soon enough for you so that you could feel like you're a winner and you got out with your capital. So that will do it for us at uh, this time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Daniel Medina and I are delighted to be with you every Wednesday uh, from 12 to 1 Pacific time and here on Voice America. And we'll be right back here, uh, same time, same bat channel next week. And then as I say, stay tuned for the 30th as we have a gentleman who could very well be Federal Reserve Board Chairman. So line up your questions, get them to us at live or in advance, and we'll make sure that we talk to Dr. Lacey Hunt, PhD, uh, about what's going on in this economy and how can we read the tea leaves in a way where we really understand what's happening as opposed to just drinking the Kool-Aid and wearing those beautiful rose-colored glasses that discolor everything. So thank you so much, folks. We'll be right back here next week. Bye-bye for now. you for tuning to fiscal fitness please join john grace and co-host daniel medina again next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time and 12 noon pacific time on the voice america business channel have an excellent week